Thanks for listening to a YPC podcast. We believe God wants to do so much for you and through you, and we'd love to hear about it. Take a second to send your story to office at ypcprior.com and enjoy the message today. Good morning, Your Place Church. Good to see you guys today. For those of you who are new with us, um, I'm actually the senior pastor of the church. Uh, I've been gone for the last uh, three weeks or so. Uh, Every year, our board of directors uh, finds it in their heart to just give me a few weekends off in the summer. So I take it. I take those. If you're watching online, I just want to welcome you. Uh, A lot of people still watching online. And so welcome to our 10 o'clock service. Uh, Excited that you guys are joining us. There's something that you miss when you watch at home, and that is the the rush of emotion we feel when something crashes backstage, right? You, you miss that. You don't get that. Everybody's heart pumps real fast, like, what was that? Okay. I think what it was is we've actually got a speaker backstage because this is, this is where it came from. The, the sound originated. I, I was using my detective skills, okay? We have a speaker backstage that I actually asked the guys to put back there because I can't, and since we flipped the state, the auditorium around, I can't hear what's going on during the first part of the services. And so uh, the very first weekend we put that in, um, it was giving us a little bit of feedback issues. We haven't, we just, I said, you know what, let's don't worry, don't worry about it right now. We'll come back to it. Well, it made a noise. And I think what happened was the drum cage went right to that speaker. And it just, it was, it was intense, all right? You guys thought you heard something. I was like, oh, dear Jesus. <laughs> so, so. Oh, it's good to be back in church. Hey, can we give it up for the young guns? They did so great. They did so great. Love those guys. And you got you to gotta love the fact that when your pastor's gone, you're still well-fed as a church. Amen, everyone. Great communicators. I'm, I, I'm constantly amazed. You know, we, we take a risk when we put people on, on the Sunday morning stage sometimes. Because they may get up, especially if we've never heard them speak before, they may get up and the lights and the live stream and like all you people looking at them, they could tank. They could tank quick. I know I'm, I've been off for three weeks and I'm having to learn how to do this again, right? But they all did so great. I'm super proud of all of our young guns, all of our next generation communicators. You know, I have a message in my heart for all of us this weekend. Yes, I'm finishing up the Young Gun series, and yes, I do feel young. <laughs> Even though my beard is a little bit grayer than normal. I shaved it off during, the, uh, during my time off, and it just came back gray. I'm, I'm assuming it was like Moses when he went up to the mountain. So anyway, um, I have a message. And I know a lot of people think, wow, it must be nice to be off for three weeks. I wish I could have a job that did that. It, it, it should have been. I actually wasn't off the whole time. We coached some friends of ours down in Minden, Louisiana. Had an opportunity to go hang out with them in their church, doing a great work. Um, And then Tyra and I did take a couple of days and kind of toured Arkansas, saw some crystal clear lakes, stayed uh, in a little Airbnb there. We kayaked, went to these great islands. It was fun. Um, And honestly, my goal was to be off the whole time. To, like, just reset. I mean, that's, that was the board of directors' intentions when they gave me those three weekends off, was to just refresh. But if I can be honest with you, I've, I've had such a heavy burden over the last three weeks to pray and to just be in the presence of God. And, and I'm sure it's probably because of the state of our world right now and stuff going on. But it was more than that. It was like an urgency to pray. And there was one day that Tyra and I even, like, we're supposed to be on, this is like week two 
Um, we're, we're, we're right back here at your place church and we're up in that small auditorium and we're just calling fire down from heaven. Like we're just praying. There's such a sense of the season that we're living in, the times that we're facing, the economy, the government, the humanity, like what is going on, right? And I had this, this burden, if you will, and, and if I'm going to be honest with you, it's still there. It's still there. Every morning I wake up and I'm drawn back into the presence of the Lord. And we've just come out of a spirit-led series, right? And I, I, would, I, would, I would assume that this is probably something that the Holy Spirit is doing for everyone, not just me, not just the pastor of this flock, but that we're all having this sense or this urgency to be in his presence more now than we've ever been. And that's what we're feeling. We're feeling this sense. In fact, our friends at Church of the Highlands down in Birmingham, Alabama, they are a part of the ark, which we're a part of the ark, if you, if you know anything about our story. We are Ark Plant 105, um, and they are, they were Ark Plant number one. And uh, they, they have decided to take a season right now. In fact, they do it twice a year. They do it once in January, and then they do it once in August. But they're taking the next 21 days, starting August 2nd, and they're spending 21 days, and they're calling it prayer. Normally, they call it prayer and feasting because we pray and fast in January. But this year, something on Pastor Chris's heart was to actually do 21 days of prayer and fasting again. And it's really because all of us who do what we do, we, we get a sense that the Lord is getting ready to do something. And we, don't, we have kind of an idea. I'm going to talk a little bit about it. But the next 21 days in August, we really want to just hone in and seek the face of God. And so what we like to do here is we like to open up the church, and if, if any of you would, should feel compelled to pray with us, we just invite you to be a part of it. Um, Highlands is actually going to live stream their service, and so we're, I haven't even talked to the teams yet. We're going to figure out how we can do that. And we're just going to be a part of a massive global community that's praying for our nation for the first 21 days in August, starting the 2nd. So it just, that's just when everything lands. And the message that I have for us today is pretty much a standalone message, but it applies for where we see the church, where we see our world, where we see our nation. And I really believe the Lord has a right now message for us. But because this is a new crowd than last service, I, I really want to be led by the Spirit of God. I want my words to land. You know, it's the heart of every communicator, every teacher, every pastor. Not just to get up here and give you a motivational spiel, I want to give you the words of God, and I want, to, I want to talk to you as it pertains to you, not your neighbor, not last service or next service, you. Like, I really feel like God has some, some thoughts for you today. So I invite you, just tune in, lean into this. Before we do, let's pray. Father, we love you, and we yield to the Holy Spirit right now. And Father, we get a sense that you're, that you're doing some things. And Lord, we know that the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro across the earth looking for someone you can show yourself faithful to and in and through. And Lord, that's never changed. But Lord, we also have recognized seasons. As we look back through church history, Father, we recognize moments in time when significant things have happened. And Father, there's this sense or this urgency that we're carrying here, Lord, that this is one of those times. So, Father, help me to do my best to communicate it as, as 
as close to I see it right now. Now, Lord, every time we're in your presence, we see more. But as much as I see right now, Father, help me to communicate it just like that, Father. And help it land in the hearts, in the, in the minds and the souls of everybody listening, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. My great-grandmother was named Hazel Goins. This is my mom's, uh, on my mom's side of the family. My great-grandmother, Hazel Goins. She was born in 1894. Like, this is 2020. You can, like, the, the generation now can't even imagine what it was like to live in 1894. And I can remember sitting and asking her questions from her childhood. And she would tell me stories. I mean, my brother and I, we'd, we'd, be, we'd be talking to her. We called her Mamaw. We'd be talking to Mamaw. And she would tell us stories of when the boys would come riding up on their horses to take the girls into town for the dance that night. Can you imagine riding up on horses? Now, I mean, I know we live in Oklahoma. Everybody outside of Oklahoma assumes that we're still riding horses, right? And we're still, there's still teepees and all of that. That's, everybody outside of here assumes that's the way it is here. It's the wild, wild west. You know they're open carry in Oklahoma. You know what I mean? So, so uh, they assume it's the wild, wild west. She would tell us stories of, of her dad would take a rock or a brick out of the fire and put it on the floorboard of their first car to keep them warm. And they'd put their feet on it as they drove into town. Like, just crazy stories that you and I take for granted. And for a bit of perspective, I want to give you a little glimpse of what my mamma, Hazel Goins, experienced in her 98 years of life. On her 24th birthday, World War I starts and ends on her 28th birthday. 22 million, 22 million people perish in that war. Later in that year, the Spanish flu epidemic hits the planet and runs until her 30th birthday. 50 million people, not just contracted it, died from it, the Spanish flu. On her 39th birthday, the Great Depression that we read about in history class, she lives through. It starts on her, on her 39th birthday. Uh, unemployment hits 25%. The world GDP drops to 27 that runs until uh, she was 43. The country nearly collapses along with the rest of the world's economy. When Mamaw, Hazel Goins, turns 49, World War II starts. And don't catch your breath because on her 51st birthday, the United States is fully pulled into World War II. And between her 49th and her 55th birthday, 75 million people perish in that war. Smallpox was an epidemic until she was in her 50s, and it killed nearly 300 million people during her lifetime. At 60, the Korean War starts, 5 million people perish. From her birth until she was 65, every single summer she dealt with the fear of polio, she experienced her friends and family contracting polio and either being paralyzed or dying from the, uh, from the virus. At 65, the Vietnam War begins and doesn't end for 20 years. Four million people perish in that conflict. The Cold War begins. 
She lived each day with the fear of nuclear annihilation. This is my mammal, my, my great-grandmother. On her 72nd birthday, she had the Cuban Missile Crisis, the tipping point in the Cold War. Uh, life on, on the planet as we knew it almost ended during that whole drama. When she turned 85, the Vietnam War finally ends. Think of everyone on the planet born in the 1890s through their entire lifetime, what they endured through all of that. Man, when you were a kid back in 85, you thought that your grandma didn't know what she was, you know, didn't know what real pressure was because, you know, school and that bully, you know. You can't possibly understand what it's like to live in our world today, Grandma. But yet you look through all of that, and it's interesting. When you look at history, it gives us an amazing amount of perspective, doesn't it? We think we live in unprecedented times, and we do for the times we're used to. But when you look at the generations that came before us, they lived through some crap. Can I say that? Are we good? We're all friends, right? She lived through all of that. She saw firsthand what it was like to live in a fallen world. And, and she, the only, the only thing they could do was make a decision to trust God and live on. And friends, that is the message for this weekend. We only have two options. We can either allow what's happening to us to affect us, or we can trust God and live on. We can trust God and watch him move even in the season we're in. The difference between my mammal when she was a kid and the kids say today, she had no idea what was going on in the rest of the world. In the 1890s, early 1900s, I mean, you would have snippets, you'd have hearsay, you would have some facts, right? I mean, good night. When I remember when I was a kid, the, the news when I was a kid was a 30-minute segment every Friday, I mean, sorry, every Monday through Friday at 5. And it lasted 30 minutes. You got a little bit of weather, you got a little bit of sports, you got some good news, and you got some bad news. And it was just the facts, ma'am. It was just the facts because that's all, they had 30 minutes to fill it up. But everything changed in 1980. Cable had started its, you know, its, its surfacing across the world, and people were paying to watch cable channels. I don't know if you remember when cable, I remember when we first got cable. That was like, oh my gosh, this was our remote. It was a cord connected to the TV. We'd drag it over to the couch, right? It had this little knob here, and we would punch the cable channels, click, click clicking in this row of cable channels is this box, cable box. 1980, a cable company called the Cable News Network started airing 24-hour news coverage. Well, you can imagine when you just had 30-minute window to, to put news in, you just, you just said the facts. But when you have to fill up a 24-hour window, all of a sudden news becomes news and then opinions about that news and forecasts about those opinions about that news. 
Well, then other news companies start saying, hey, there's a little bit of money in that. And then we have, well, this is our opinion on what's going on in the world, and this is our opinion on what's going on in the world. And then because of ratings and viewership and, I mean, like, we got to get people to watch, we filled 24 hours worth of basically some truth in a lot of opinion about that truth. Does that make sense? So my mamaw didn't have that luxury. It was not something she could be like, oh my gosh, did you know that 500 million people have died? They just knew a war was going on and they needed to pray. They knew that there was a virus affecting. They didn't know how many people had the virus. They just knew it was bad and they just needed to pray. That's what they knew. It's nothing new. We see the same thing happening all the way back in Jesus' day. In fact, you can read over in Mark chapter 15. This is when Jesus stood before Pilate. I don't know if you remember this story or not. It's right before he goes to the cross. The Bible talks about in verse 6, Now this was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. So the people could basically come up before a person was sentenced, tried, and potentially executed on a cross that the people could ask for one of their prisoners to just be released, just to avoid the trial process, right? A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. So there's, a, there's this guy, a bunch of them had committed a bunch of murders. They're in prison with Jesus. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Hey, you, you, you usually give us a guy back. You usually turn one loose, right? Verse 9, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate. I like what verse 10 said, knowing that it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had Jesus, or handed Jesus over to them. But look at verse 11. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd. Stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. There's a bunch of people that stirred up the crowd that caused the pandemonium. And we've seen it throughout history ever since. So yeah, I mean, the, the you know, cable or satellite TV makes it easier. The internet, camera phones, makes it all easier to see what's going on faster. But make no mistake about it, it's been going on for a while. What do we do? What, what do we as believers do when we find ourselves in a season much like my mammon did? Do we continue just to choose sides and take the opinion of who we think is trustworthy, regardless of the facts? Or do we, do we even know the facts? Do we even trust the person who's writing the actual facts in the fact book if it exists? What do we do? We can't just crawl in a hole. We have to live on. We have to trust God more now than we ever have, and we have to make a decision to live right on through it. And I know most of us, we're just like, man, we just wait for this thing to pass. We just want things to go back to normal. I don't know if it is going to go back to normal. Come on, preacher. Been off for three weeks. You're supposed to come back and give us some encouraging news, right? Because the chief priests now have internet and camera phones 
all over the world. I just don't know if it's going to go back to what your normal is. So what do we do? We've got to make a decision. You know what my concern is, if I can be honest? My concern is that there's going to be so many things that people are shouting about that eventually human nature is just going to go, la, 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 and become apathetic and not let anything move them just from sheer self-preservation. So nothing's going to move us. It's going to go from everything moves us to nothing moves us. But I got good news for you, friends. Finally, God is still on the throne. God is still on the throne. None of this has taken him by surprise, and I'm convinced that he's using it now more than ever. I'm also convinced that Romans chapter 8 feels more important to me than it did a few weeks ago. Romans chapter 8 says, in this same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. I think we think as Christians, we're not going to have seasons of weaknesses and hardships. No, no, no. He says, no, they're going to happen. But the Spirit, good news, the Spirit, of, the Spirit of God helps us in our weaknesses. When we don't know who to believe, when we don't know what to do with what we do believe, that's weakness. The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. He's talking about praying in the Spirit. And then it goes on to say later uh, in the verses, and we know that in all things, everybody say all things, all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called to his purpose. And a lot of people like to quote that, well, God makes all things work to the good. You think it's automatic. It's not. You got to do the verses before that. When we're weak, we pray it out. We allow the Spirit of God to pray mysteries out. We allow God to interject and move, and we get God on the scene, and we don't just hope that your great-grandmother's praying for you. We actually pray. That's the only way that God's going to allow those things, you know, things work for the good to those who love him. That's the only way it happens. See, I'm convinced if we would pray, things would change. Revivals and awakenings in the past have always occurred during times of great disruption and social upheaval. I don't believe that God caused this virus or the stuff happening, but I do believe God's going to use it. He's going to use it to get the attention. Oftentimes, Paul's words in Romans 8 are misinterpreted to say that God causes these things. Read it. It doesn't say that. It says that when these things happen, God can use it and flip them. If we'll pray. If the body of believers will come to God. If my people will humble themselves and pray, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. We have chapter and verse on that. The global concerns about everything going on in the world right now could so touch human hearts that I believe the pressure of what's going on could actually ignite a revival, could actually ignite an awakening. We've seen it in the past. Well, how do, how do revivals spark? Well, we like to use that spark to revival. Think about an engine for a second. Engines are a combustion vacuum pump. That's what they are. 
They, they work on fuel. There's a spark. It ignites the fuel. There's combustion. That's how your engine works. But that's not how every engine works. See, a diesel engine combusts with pressure. I did not understand this. I had to talk to my brother about it. He's got an intimate knowledge of diesels. And he was like, no, no. He says the pressure of that piston coming up and, and pushing that diesel fuel, just the pressure alone causes it to combust. I believe revivals happen the same way. It's not necessarily a spark. God could use a spark. But I think it's because of sometimes intense pressure that God brings revivals out of great crisis and brokenness. We know that Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9 says, In their hearts, humans plan their course. We all got plans. If this happens, then this happens. I'll graduate here. I'll get a job here. I'll do this. White House, picket fence. House, white picket fence. House, right? Wife, kids, dog, whatever. We have our plans. And when our plans are disrupted, all of a sudden we think our world's crashing down because it's not going to my plan. When in reality, God is, is using the pressure. He's not causing the pressure. He's using the pressure to start something. In the 1700s, a, a European... Um, philosophical movement known as the Enlightenment uh, or Age of Reason was making its way across the Atlantic Ocean to the American colonies. Enlightenment thinkers emphasized scientific and logical view of the world while downplaying religion to the people. And the stage was set in that moment when, when, when Jesus, when God, when his word and the spirit all of a sudden was being challenged because of, an, because of philosophical and logical views. God used the pressure in that moment to start a revival in the 1720s as, as preachers of the word began to change their message based upon the move of the spirit and this whole thousands of people came to Christ during that season. We see it again in the 50s and 60s, the healing revival. I don't know if you're familiar, if you've done your research on revivals, but in the 50s and 60s, if you were alive, you remember that we were coming on the heels of such racial tension in our nation, like some of the worst we've ever seen as a country. And yet, through that, God begins to do healing miracles. I'm talking miracles. People who are alive today can tell you, oh, no, 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 it happened. And people like to poke fun at that and say, ah, it's all hogwash. Oh, go talk to them. Because, you know, you, if you can be talked into a move of God, if you can be talked into an encounter of God, you can be talked out of one. But you can't get talked out of an experience. You can't get talked out of an encounter. And we saw that. We saw it again in the 70s. The Jesus movement that started out of California. People, young people, were just disillusioned and confused because of tension and fear and, and, and just the world as a whole, drugs and conflict. Thousands of kids began to organically come to Jesus for healing and hope out of their brokenness. We've seen that pressure. Though uncomfortable, it actually ignites revivals. And many of us are familiar with brokenness and what God can do with it. Well, the same thing happens in nations in countries and I feel like we're on the cusp of something here church I really do 
When crisis erupts, it brings confrontation and fear, which if we're going to be honest, that's what a lot of people feel. When you turn on the news, there's confrontation, and then there's updates and numbers and data, fear. And in Acts chapter 27, we actually read of a time when there was confrontation and fear. Paul is a prisoner at this time. He's on a ship going through a storm. We just had a storm a couple of weeks ago. I was in Louisiana, came back to trees down in my backyard. All kinds of crazy stuff going on. We live on the lake, boat docks, ripped from the dock, twisted up, turned, whatever. Just crazy, craziness. But Paul's a prisoner on a ship during a storm. He's one of 275 other prisoners on the boat. He's supposed to stand trial. And so this is not the Royal Caribbean he's on. Like he's with 270 other prisoners down in the belly of a boat, and up comes this storm. Sailing becomes dangerous. Verse 10, Paul actually had warned them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to the ship and cargo and to our own lives also. So in other words, before they even left, he's like, oh, something feels funny. That's what was happening to us over the last three weeks. Instead of resting and working on my tan, something was unsettled in my heart. Just unsettled. I could tell something was up. Something's, something's not right. And we can either be those that say, I don't know what that is, and go, you know, mask that with something to distract us, or we can lean into it. And so Paul's leaning into it, and he's trying to encourage them. He's trying to give them advice. Verse 11, but the centurion, the guy responsible for transporting the prisoners, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. Of course he did. Why would you listen to the preacher? Preachers think they know everything anyway. You know what I mean? They just think they know it all, okay? Why would you listen to him instead of the guy who does this all the time? So Paul's giving advice on where to steer the ship because on this ship, he doesn't represent a prisoner. He doesn't even represent a, a preacher. He represents the purpose of God on this ship. And so he's given directions and he's warning them on behalf of God. And you can imagine how fearful the situation is. Verse 14, before very long, the wind, a wind of hurricane force called a northeaster, swept down from the islands, and the ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were just driven along. I don't know if you've had that experience before, but when all of a sudden something happens, you're trying to make course adjustments, but it's just like the wind's too powerful, too strong. And so literally, they're just like, we can't do anything. And so they allow the thing to just be driven along. I think that's a lot of us, a lot of us feel that way right now. We're driven along by what's going on in our world. Where are they rioting now? Okay, I guess we won't go downtown tonight. What schools are, which schools are opening? Which ones are just doing online? Like, how are we, oh wait, teachers, you're going to have to have lesson plans for your in-person and your online. Okay, all the, all the things that we're going to have, like, what's going on? What are we doing? It's this thought of panic that comes along with things that we can't control. And it brings fear, it brings anxiety. And so that's where they find themselves in. It's out of my control, we're just hanging on, right? And I want to talk to somebody this weekend who feels like the winds of life are just driving you along driven by your fears, by your emotions, thoughts of anxiety, keeping you up at night, 
playing out scenarios in your head. You wake up more exhausted than you were when you went to sleep. I want to talk to you because you can't even function correctly. I'm here to tell you there's hope. There's hope, but if you try to do it in your own strength, you're not strong enough. Listen to your pastor, friends. Wow, don't give him three weeks off again. He comes back fired up. Just telling you what the Lord's impressing upon my heart. Verse 16, as we passed through the lee of the small island called Kata, we hardly were able to make the lifeboat secure, so the men hoisted it aboard. They passed ropes under the ship itself, trying to hold it together because we were afraid we were going to run aground on sandbars of Sardis. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship just be driven along. You know, sometimes... The situation officially becomes out of our control. Doing everything we can do just to hold that ship together. Everything we can do just to pass some ropes underneath. We'll just hold this ship together, right? We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. They're just trying to lighten the load so we can save the ship, when storms and chaos continue to rage, in other words, in other words when, the storm, when the storm started, we thought, well, we'll just wait until it passes. And I think that's what a lot of us thought two months ago. We'll just wait till this thing passes, and then we'll just get on back with life. But now they don't see any stars. They don't know which way is north. It's just constant rain, storm, hurricane force winds. When they got to the point that they all finally gave up hope. Verse 20 describes the enemy's ultimate goal in your life. This is what he's out to do in you, friends. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. We. Paul's writing the story. We. We just gave up hope. This is, this is how it ends. Man, I get sick riding in the backseat of a car going through the Spavinall curves back there. I get sick driving the car sometimes. You know what I mean? I just, that's just who I am. Can you imagine being in the belly of a ship when all this is going on? Gave up hope. Now we've gone from despair to depression. They've given up hope that they're ever going to feel, that they're, they're ever going to make it out of it. That's how bad it was. But Paul speaks up in verse 21. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate that, bro. You're right. <laughs> you know what he said right there? I told you so. <laughs> That's what he was saying. I told you so. You should have you taken my advice not to sell from Crete. Then you would have spared this, yourselves and the damage and this loss. And I like verse 22 because he says, but now. But now. Because you know what happens? Now is when God can move. Sometimes when you give up all hope on trying to figure it out on your own, now is when God can change things. When circumstances are faced against you and you have nothing you can do to change them, now is when God can move. Amen? The Bible says in, a, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it, the Bible says, Now faith is the confidence of what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. 
Paul tells them, but now I urge you, keep up your courage. And that is my message to the people of your place church in this season. Keep up your courage. Fix your focus. Fix your focus and keep up your courage. He says, I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. He says, you have to keep up your courage. It's something you have to do. We can't leave to God what he leaves up to us. You have to keep up your courage. You have to fix your focus on the author and the finisher of our faith. We have to take control of our own thoughts. And we have to encourage ourselves and each other. We have to keep up our focus and our courage. Paul's like, oh, I got some good news and I got some bad news. Good news is, you're all going to make it. You're all going to get there. We're not going to die. We're not going to lose anyone. But this ship, on the other hand, this baby's going down, right? And, and you're like, well, how encouraging is that? It's encouraging to know that you're going to make it. Verse 23, last night, Paul says, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. It's possible that when hurricane force winds are stirring the world around you and waves are crashing against you and everybody's freaking out, people are throwing stuff over and you think you're going to die, it's possible to have the presence of God standing right next to you through that whole thing. Standing in front of you, taking the hits for you, standing behind you to keep you propped up. It is entirely possible for the presence of God to be with you in seasons of chaos. Verse 24, this angel said, do not be afraid, Paul. You got to stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of everyone who sails with you. In other words, I'm not focused on the storm, the storm that I see right now, but on the future that God has promised me. Friends, months ago, God told us to renovate phase one of this building. He knew this season was coming. He would not have told us to do that if we were going to have to close the building. Months ago, he told us to renovate this auditorium, right? Make, more, make room for people. He would not have told us to do that if we were just going to have to limit the amount of people in our building. God knows there is a future coming, and he still encouraged us. So I'm not living for the storm that I'm walking through. I'm living for the purpose that God has for us as a church. Amen, someone? Amen. And that's your life, too. God's got a purpose for you. You may be in a storm right now, but fix your focus. Fix your focus and allow God to move through you. I know next week we, we start this new series. Some of them were on the chairs. If not, they'll be, they'll be in the back of the room. The greeters will have them. These are the invites for our August series. Every year, one of our biggest series we do in, is in August. People are kind of getting back to their routine, <laughs> whatever that is right now. Right? I will tell you this. People are looking for hope. They're looking for answers. They're needing something to anchor to. And Jesus is the only thing that can help them. Normally, I focus on marriages. This time, we're focusing on navigating the season that we're in and families. And so I'm calling it Family Tree. It's going to be a really good series. And it's going to be kind of like the book of James where I don't know where it's going to end. I do know that the Lord has given me direction 
in the month of October that's different. So this may last through all of August and September, but they're good. Every time you come to church, it's good. Look at your neighbor and say, this is so good. Don't be afraid, Paul said. Verse 25, keep up your courage, men. You, keep up your courage. Why? Because I have faith in God that it will happen, just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some islands. Awesome. How do you keep up your courage when you know the ship's going down? That's the essence of faith, friends. That's the essence of faith. We have to learn to separate our courage from our conditions. We have to learn how to separate our courage. If your courage is tied to your conditions, when your bank account goes down, your courage goes down. If your courage is tied to your conditions, when that relationship gets strange, your courage goes down. When your courage is tied to your conditions, when humanity blows a fuse and life gets weird, your courage goes down with it. How do you do that? You separate your courage from your conditions. Apparently, even when my conditions are outside of my control, my courage is never outside of my control. God says, keep up your courage. Stop praying for God to give you courage. Use the courage he's given you. Paul says, fix your focus. Sometimes you can't fix your situation. All you can do is fix your focus on the author and the finisher of my faith. It was true with Peter. If you guys are familiar with the story of Peter, Jesus is out walking on the water. Peter's like, Lord, if that's you, let me come to you. He's like, come on, bro. He gets out. He starts walking on the water. As long as his focus was on Jesus, he was good. But the minute that he started looking at the situation around him and the winds and the waves, all of a sudden the Bible says he started to sink. When we're focused on the situation, when we're focused on the conditions, it'll take us down. But when you're focused on Jesus, it'll keep you, it'll keep you walking. Can I ask you a question? Would Peter have been any more able to walk on water if there was no wind or waves? No. It's all about where your focus is. I'm staring Jesus in the face these days. I'm staring him in the face. And that's the way you'll make it too. Be in his presence. Read his word. Stare him in the face. Our fear is powered by our focus. I'm going to say that again. Our fear, our anxiety, the turmoil, what we're feeling, that's powered by our focus. You take away the fear and you put your power of your focus on your faith, all of a sudden we got some courageous faith living inside of us. Because your faith is also powered by your focus. We don't need God to fix the ship for our courage to come up. If your, if your focus is on the government to fix this, when, the, when it goes down, your courage goes down with it. Are you with me, friends? But to God, who is the author and finisher of our faith, amen. You'll make it through it. You'll make it through it. 
you'll make it through it. Not one of you will be lost. Not one of you will be lost. You'll make it through it. You'll make it through it. We're trying to help somebody in here today whose help and hope is not supposed to be in the boat. It's supposed to be in God. The reason all of the other sailors were so scared was because they were trusting the boat to get them to the other side. When your hope is in the boat or whatever other source that you have, a relationship, an income stream, situation, you won't make it. But when your trust is in God, you'll always make it. So the ship may be going down, but my faith is in Jesus. My faith isn't in this boat. My faith is in God. He's my source. Everybody say, he's my source. Why do I have you do that? Why does he make us do that? Your ears need to hear your words say that. He's my source. He's my protector. He's my healer. He's the one that's going to get me through. He's the one that's going to navigate me through this storm. Not anything else. Amen, everyone. Let's finish the story and I'll let you go. Verse 39, when daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but at least there's land, right? But they saw the bay with the sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudder. The rudders, they hoisted the foresail into the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted Paul to spare Paul's life, and so they stopped him from carrying out that plan. He ordered that those who could swim jump overboard first, get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or other pieces of the ship. One reached land safely. Listen, friends. My faith isn't in how it's going to happen. It's in the fact that God's going to make it happen. You can't get wrapped up in the way it's supposed to happen. You get wrapped up in the way of God who can make it happen. My faith isn't in the boat. It's in my God. Amen, everyone. We're going to use this next season. We're going to pray as a church. Revivals come through seasons of pressure. And I believe God's going to do something in our church over this next season. Amen. Father, we love you. We thank you right now for the opportunity just to learn from you. Father, we sense this season that we're in, Father. And Lord, we're not going to be those that just hide in the belly of the ship and trust the ship, trust the government, trust the way of life, trust what was supposed to happen to get us through. God, we're going to trust you to get us through. And we're going to watch the miraculous happen. You have been listening to a YPC podcast. Visit our website at ypcprior.com to hear more.